Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Yes. So I appreciate you taking the time. I also appreciate you having me over here. I didn't want to be presumptuous and just be like, where are you staying? <laughs> no, this is, this is great. This is so easy for me. So you're, you're in town um, right now for, is it, are you in Bluebeards or are you in? Yolanta. Yolanta. Yeah. And that's in February? It is in February, yeah. I'm, I'm here. I, I, I did Bohem in the fall, and it rolled mm-hmm. kind of into Iolanta. And uh, yeah, and so now I'm doing that. And yeah, we're opening tonight. That's right. But I'm covering, actually, uh, however, I don't even know how many shows there are, but I'm singing the last performance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's six or seven before you. Yeah, maybe. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Anyway. You're around. I know exactly <laughs> when I'm doing mine. February 14th, Valentine's Day. Bring a date. Bring a date. That's the, the important thing is that you know when you're supposed to be exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you live in North Carolina now, right? I live in Minneapolis now. Oh, you're in Minneapolis? Oh, you're, yeah. you're full-time Minneapolis. I'm full-time. We got a condo and everything. My wife's from there. So when, okay. I, when I asked her to come travel the world with me, I said... If you do this, I'll live anywhere you want. And she's from there, so we, we now live close to her family. Nice. Because yeah. I'm there two months out of the year, I basically am a tourist there almost every time I go home. So it's kind of nice That's in some it ways. It keeps it interesting. It keeps it very interesting. I know where the Mall of America is and the airport. <laughs> I can get to those two places very easily. Also important things. Well, yeah. Particularly the airport. The Mall yeah. of America has been... It's been years. Oh my God. I go a lot. I like the Mall of America. I mean, I it's got everything. So. Yeah. I do the valet. I, I make it really easy. You <laughs> nice. know? Yeah. It's a, it, yeah. It's, it's a nice place. Whoever decided to start doing valets at malls was a genius. Absolutely. It's perfect. Absolutely. Like, why not? Bring in a little extra income. I always think they got to break even though, you know? Because like, yeah. you got to pay somebody to stand there all day and drive cars around. Yeah. So you have to charge a fee. It also depends on how nice the mall is. Right. I'm from Rochester, New York, not Ooh. Minnesota. And I went to school in Eastman. Oh, you did? Yeah. I didn't know that. I sure did. When were you in Eastman? 2001 and two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Rochester. Your, that's that was a rough my undergrad. But that's yeah, a rough that's downtown. That's, that's a rough downtown. That's a rough downtown. There's not a whole lot going on there these days. Yeah. I mean, well, back in the day, there was a whole lot of crack and trash. It's it's it was rough. Where did you where did you live? You I lived a block south of the the, of the school campus, yeah. on Gibbs Street. Yeah. Oh, you were right on Gibbs. Right on Gibbs. <laughs> oh yeah, I know I know I know the block you're talking about. Yeah. And that like that like five block area right there, it, the moment that you go past the school towards Main. Yep. Is. I had a crackhead car cleaning service where every month or so somebody would break into my car, clean out all the trash, and. <laughs> It would be cl- much cleaner than it was before because all I left in there was some garbage and my gym clothes. So I'd pick up my gym clothes, put it back in the car, and leave the trash on the street because it. it just mixed with the other trash. Just leave your car unlocked. It's easier. Than I did. I did. I, I, I used to lock it and I thought, they're going to break a window. Yeah, you know? exactly. Of course, this was my 1989 Toyota Tercel. That, no, yeah. no, it was a hot. No, what was it? Oh, God, I don't even remember, but I paid $100 for it. Nice. So obviously a very quality buy. Yeah. I had a 89 Ford Tempo at that time. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. 89 was the year back nobody, in nobody was 2001. It was a stick, too. Like, yeah. A Tempo that was a stick. Nobody ever broke into that car. Yeah? Like, I also either kept it immaculate or a total mess. Like, there was no in between. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I found that when you park in the city all the time, if your car is just a total disaster, people are like, I'm just yeah. going to leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> on to the next. Let's <laughs> see if nicer we... on this block. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Audi or better. <laughs> right. Anything else. 
Yeah, I uh, I spent 28 years in Rochester and then Oof. left. And now when people when I go back, people are like, "Is it good to be home?" I'm like, no, it's weird. So I'm like, no. I wow. go. I even go back to the same. Cause I used to hang out at the old Toad. That was like, of course, the old. That toad. was my spot. <laughs> that is bringing back some memories right there. We used to bar hop around that little area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All Alexander Street, the yeah. old Toad, the guy that was. At the time that you were there, there would have been like one American dude that worked there uh-huh. with red hair and a beard. That's Peter Malfatti. He's now the beverage manager at Beer Culture on West 45th. Oh, wow. Here in the city. You don't know. Do you remember the restaurant Aria's? Yeah. I worked at Aria's. Did you? Yeah. And they had this, this guy who was like the quintessential Irish bartender named Patty. Of course. <laughs> you know? And he was like the coolest dude ever. And we used to party with Patty and have a big time. And I worked at, you know, after work and all of my friends would come by and we'd just hang out. And yeah. Rochester was a drinking town, man. Yeah. It was, well, there's so many colleges. Yeah. So many colleges. I don't, I don't do that stuff anymore, honestly. I'm just, my wife's pregnant. I don't, I'm, have, the, I'm, I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the energy. I don't, I'm, you know what? I, it's, it's, this opera business is too, too tough, really, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I have not been back to Rochester since I left school there I mean, 15 years ago. So there's, unless you're singing with the RPO, there's really not yeah. much for you to do there. I actually talked to them a while back about maybe doing a master class or something. Yeah. It just never worked out. So yeah. I, I wouldn't mind going back just to smell the smells and see the building because the building's really cool. Yeah. You know, the conservatory itself yeah. is really cool. But other, other than that, there's no reason for me to go to Rochester. What was that? So when you walk in the entrance on Gibbs, the, the recital hall that's like all the black walnut. What was that? What was that oh, room? I don't remember. It's still one of my favorite rooms. It's so beautiful. On the Eastern Seaboard to sing in. It's so beautiful. God, what's that hall? I used to know one of Comment the... Comment on this if you see if you remember what that hall was called. Because I, 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 I did recitals there. I won competitions there. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Anyway. I, I mean, I, didn't, I went to Roberts Wesleyan College. I didn't go to Eastman, but... I knew one of the security guards that worked like the later night shift. Uh-huh. So if it was after 10, I, he would let me in. And like I would sing in that room. All, oh, that's cool. Like three times a week at least. Because it was Very amazing. Cool. But yeah. no, that building was great. I was there all the time. Who did you study with there? John Malloy. Okay. Who has actually passed away since yeah. then. Yeah, he was the uh, head of the boys faculty. Actually, I, the reason I even got in was I, was I was dating a harp player who went to school there. I was going to school at Appalachian State University at the time. Okay. And I went up to visit him, and one of my buddies from the summer program, the Highlight Opera, said to John Malloy, you need to hear this guy. Yeah. And I sang for John Malloy, and literally right then he said, I want you to go home and pack your stuff and come to school here. <laughs> and I said, I want you to give me a full scholarship. He, he was like, oh, okay, all right, you need to audition for the faculty. So I auditioned for the faculty. I borrowed a tuxedo from a friend. And, uh, and uh, got into school there and ended up getting a full scholarship and packed my stuff in Boone, North Carolina and moved up to Rochester. Awesome. So how did you, how'd you get into opera in general? How did that, uh, uh, how did that happen? You know, I, I kind of fell in love with opera because I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, some people are sporty. Some people can do things. I can sing just about anything, mm-hmm. you know, like any genre. And I grew up singing every genre. So I could sing, you know, like Mariah Carey. I could sing like Boys to Men. I could sing like Steve Perry. You know, I could sing like Freddie Mercury. I could do all that on the radio. And then one Christmas, my mom gave me a three tenors tape. 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 And I wore that thing out. And all of a sudden, this was, here was this genre that I could not come close to singing. Yeah. And I thought, wow, how interesting is this? I need to, I need to work on this so I can try and sing this, you know? And so uh, I got... Uh, I auditioned, this is like high school, I auditioned for a few schools, I auditioned for DePaul, UNC Greensboro, and Appalachian State, and I got 
a big scholarship to go to DePaul, but it was still going to be really expensive. And, I, yeah. and UNCG, a big scholarship, but it was still going to be really expensive. App State cost $3,500 a year. So I went cheap. And uh, also my family was not super well off. I mean, we weren't poor, but we weren't middle class either. Yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, we went to Appalachian State. And um, honestly, it was perfect. I had a voice teacher there that kept me right in line with, you know, good singing, good technique. Just, just, just kept me within the lines, you know. Yeah. And then got the full scholarship to go to Eastman. And then uh, I basically I decided I'm done with Eastman. I just don't want to be here anymore. I'm moving to New York City with some friends. And I went to Central City that summer to sing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I auditioned for the Yale program just because I auditioned for everyone coming through. Right. And uh, Yale was like, uh, we had a baritone dropout. We need you. And I was like, great, give me a full scholarship. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there was a lot of negotiation that went on to get me a full scholarship, none of which had to do with my prowess as a negotiator, all of which had to do with how zero dollars I had in the bank. Yeah. You oh, know? Yeah. And so I was like, they kept saying, well, we can give you 15 grand. And I was like, I don't think you understand how... I have zero money. And <laughs> if you don't I, give me more, I literally won't be there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it was not negotiation at all. And finally, you know, Doris Cross and I worked it out so that uh, I could go to Yale, full scholarship. And so basically, as I was doing that, I was getting better at my craft and getting uh, more and more, you know, sort of positive comments on my singing and everything and thought, you know, I might be able to do this because I kept every place I went to, summer program or college, I thought to myself, I'm going to hit the ceiling soon. I'm going to hit the ceiling. I'm not going to be the best one there or one of the best ones there. Yeah. You know, and that never happened. And quite honestly, it still hasn't happened, yeah. you know. And um, so I, I just figure I'm going to continue to move on to better things until I get to the very top level and then be the best at the top level. Yeah. And uh, or at least if I can go that far, I'm going to take this as far as it goes you right. know, to the end of the road. And, you know, I'm still on the road. So it was it was never about. I don't know. It was always about just taking it as far as I could. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, that's why we're in New York. I'm at the <laughs> that's, Met. That's right. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know, talent can open a lot of doors, you know, and you need for it to open a lot of doors if you don't come from money. You yeah. Know? And a lot of us don't come from money. It's, yeah. it's, it's a difficult thing. That's why these days when I give voice lessons and stuff, it pains me to charge these kids for, for that. I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not, a I'm not a voice teacher. Yeah. I'm an opera singer, you know, yeah. but... I know what I'm talking about when it comes to voice. Right. So I give advice when I can. And, uh, but at the same time, you have, to, you have to monetize yourself. I do have a ton of experience in this field, you know? And um, I don't know. I definitely have something to say. So I, I don't know. I'm right, I'm right in the middle with that right now, personally. Cause, because I, can't, like, I feel like if I came from money, I'd be like, yeah, this will cost this much. That's what you owe me. But because I remember how difficult it was to pay for lessons and coachings, and I yeah. struggled to do so. You know, and I still did it. And uh, but at the same time, those things meant a lot more to me because it wasn't just some freebie. Right. You know, so anyway, it's a it's a tough thing. Yeah, it's it's not an easy industry to be in if you don't come from money just because everything costs so much. It's like I'm, golf. Yeah. Golf's a tough game to play if you don't have a little money in the bank. Yeah. It's an expensive sport. Yeah. You know, you can hoop anywhere. Right. You know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Golfing, not so much. Yeah. You had your Met debut in 07? Oh, I think it was 08. Okay. Because in the fall uh -huh. for Bohem, I sang a performance on my 10-year debut anniversary. Okay. Yeah, a, a Bohem performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I've been, been there about a decade. Nice. Off and on. What is, what's your most performed role at, at the Met? Is it Marcello? Yeah, Marcello. Yeah. It's a great role, though. 
It is a great role. Yeah. He doesn't technically have an aria, but... No, he's got the whole act three to sort of show his stuff, you know? He it's is kind of his act. Seriously pivotal to act yeah, three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a nice role for sure. I love it. I think there are roles that I perform better because I'm a very high lyric baritone. I'm basically a baritoner. Yeah. And um, so, you know, if I get above F sharp, G, A flat, A, you know, if I get up there... You're really, you, you know, I'm I'm singing. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can hear me. And uh, yeah, so I mean, Marcello doesn't go quite high enough for me to call it one of my best roles, but it is a great role for me, and it's a great role for any lyric baritone. What's your What's your favorite role you've done? Oh, I probably the barber. Yeah, uh, I I just love singing that role. It's honestly, it's the one I'm most proficient at. I've sung 16 productions and almost 70 performances of it Damn. at this point, and. Uh, and at awesome houses. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, that's my bread and butter. Yeah. And so when I do it, people are always like, damn, son, that's really good. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is what I do. <laughs> this is how I do it. This is what I do. <laughs> yeah. That also helps when you're called into a house and you don't have a whole lot of rehearsal time or don't get to run with orchestra or oh, totally. walk the stage. Or... I did it at the Vienna Staatsoper and that was a Vita Aufnahme and I just, you know, two days of rehearsal. There you go. And uh, at one point, I walked into the wrong room. I walked into Rosina's room instead of the, the, the there was two like upstairs rooms. Anyway, but it, you know, I did it. I was like, this is not right. And I walked out and didn't affect anything. You know, yeah. it was still a great show. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, you, you can cover things on stage. Just I love when stuff goes wrong on stage. That's the beauty of live theater. Yeah. Like, in general. I, I love watching for that stuff. Oh, yeah. When man. it happens, you're like, oh, that wasn't right. Yeah. Or that ended up in the pit. Oh, yeah, or... man. I have. Oh, I, it's great because all of a sudden the audience feels this realness from you. It's literally you're just existing in the world together yeah. at the same time rather than putting on something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's my favorite moment on stage, even if it's really bad. Like I fell off the back of the Teatro Real in Madrid, fell off the back of the stage one time. It was like a three and a half foot rake. And I'm supposed to slide down. This, this makes no sense. I, I wrote a blog about it. So if you're really interested, read it. But I slide down this house that's like 12 feet tall, the eve of the house, onto the tenor's back. And they're supposed to, like, the house is on wheels, of course. And they're supposed to foot it up against the, the back of the stage, the rake stage. Yeah. They forgot to lock the wheels. So as I get onto the tenor's back, the house rolls backwards. And I take him and me off the back of the stage, right in the middle of singing this scene. you know, And I land on Klaus Florian Falkt. Who's you know this Helden tenor, and um, stop, we stop singing. We're literally gone. You yeah. can't even see the audience. We're both lying on the ground backstage. I'm like, dude. <laughs> I was like, are you all right? He's like, I think so. I was like, let's get back on stage. And I jump back up, grab, take his hand, pull him back up, and you know I've missed like six measures, six six systems of music. Yeah, you know. And I'm like, so I come back in when I can, you know, and, you know, we finish the scene. I go back to Maestro afterwards, like, Maestro, I'm so sorry that I fell off the back of the, and I'm so sorry about that. And I didn't say anything. I just said, I'm so, so, so sorry about that. He said, what are you talking about? He's like, I missed this. I fell off the back of the state. He's like, oh, did you? He had <laughs> oh, no God. idea. If you didn't notice, the audience didn't notice. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, you just got to keep rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been injured on stage? Like during a show? I have cut myself on stage and jammed fingers yeah. indoors or caught myself on like a nail or not even a nail, but like a lot of it's always doors. Doors are tough mm. on stage because you open something, it's not screwed in right and you might cut yourself or yeah, doors. Never with a prop, I don't think. I, uh, oh yeah, there was this one moment where I, I, I backed up 
on stage and I, I, I actually, I went a little further down stage than I had previously and all these chorus members were, it was in La Forza del Destino and these chorus members were supposed to be like, I poured out this big bucket of like soup in this soup kitchen. All the chorus was trying to grab at it and I went further down stage than I normally did and I backed up like yelling at them and I, there was a chorus member on his hands and knees getting the soup behind me and I literally toppled backwards over him and my monk's habit came up over my head and I'm singing with the monk's habit over my head and you know, and honestly, it's kind of cool because I never, I didn't even miss a beat. You yeah. know, I pulled it off and was like right back in with the maestro. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, shit happens. You never feel it though on stage. If I'm sore or achy, you never feel it. That yeah. adrenaline kicks in and all yeah. of a sudden you're just in, invincible. But during, during uh, I, went to, I went to see Carmen in the fall. And at one point in time, the tenor throws stuff off of the, the table Oh, yeah. And, like, the cup went flying, <clears throat> and something landed in the pit and hit somebody, and one thing ended up off the stage. <laughs> it was like that there. is my worst nightmare. I have literally, I've dove, dove? I've, I dove on the ground once to catch a pair of scissors as I was doing the barber in Oslo, I think. And it, I literally saw them bounce, bounce, bounce towards the pit and I dove I dove I just straight up baseball dove yeah. after them and caught them like right as they were about to go into the pit and so I am very aware of things not going into the pit almost yeah. almost dangerously so to myself so you orchestra members out there just know that we got your back as much <laughs> as we can we never want anything to go in the pit and we're so sorry if it does so talk to me a little bit about uh, the blog which you've been doing for a while now yeah, about two and a half years now. Yeah, we've. Uh, what got you started in the in the writing aspect of things? Well, honestly, my wife inspired me to do it because yeah. I was I was giving a lot of advice about things and uh, talking to people about things, and she said, "You have a really unique perspective." And I thought, "Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I'd love to give an, some real, real, just real world experience perspective. Right. You know, not this." Everyone's your best friend, and everyone's out for your best interest, and and uh, and not that that can't be true, but that there are, there's just a lot to this career that people don't talk about. And as I did research myself to see, surely somebody's talked about these subjects before, like stage romance etiquette, or you know, which we want to get to shortly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, just 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 basically everything I write about, you know. And I realized there was very little out there to help young singers. And I thought, man, I really would love some, I, I, I started out as I wish I had the information I had now, then. Right. And I thought I can give this information to people. And so uh, that's kind of how it began. And it, it um, you know, and it takes a while for these things to gain traction, you know? And I knew that, I knew if I just stick with it, that eventually it'll come back. And you know, in the beginning it was, you know, a few comments here or there saying, thank you, Lucas, thank you, Mr. Meacham, Maestro, whatever for, you know, for sharing this knowledge with us. And now it's become this whole, it's taken on a life of its own. And um, it's really become a brand. And uh, it's part of my brand. And again, I, I, don't, I don't call myself a teacher. I just talk about the experiences I've had. Right. You know, and uh, I do have a good set of ears, though. And I'm all about the realism of singing, of opera singing, is that if you can't be heard, it doesn't matter how good your diction is, how much of a backstory you have, your music history inclinations, that you know the characters' flaws and like hairstyles. You can know all of that. If you're not heard in a house, none of it matters. Right. So that's kind of my biggest thing, is that the voice is always the most important thing. And we've mm -hmm. kind of lost track of that these days in the fact that you gotta have a six-pack to play Billy Bud. Yeah. You know, when Benjamin Britten didn't say 
must have six pack. He said in, in the words that Claggart sings and some of the other guys, he says, it's the big lad with the stammer and beauty, handsomeness, goodness. You know, that's, that's sort of the descriptive words for Billy. It never says six pack abs and model features, but that's what it's become. Yeah. And uh, I think we've really lost track with a few things. And we're getting back. I feel like the pendulum is swinging back from that. Agreed. But it's not there yet. Yeah. And um, it's one of, uh, and I, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of places say, uh, I just saw something recently about having a blind opera audition, which I think is good and bad at the same time. It's kind Agreed. of a double-edged it's a, sword. It's a competition in the UK. Now, th- I mean, that's yeah. the other thing is it's a competition mm-hmm. that's going to be doing it rather than an actual opera company because there still is a character to play. Yeah. And you, totally. I mean, to be totally honest, when I see singers who truly can't act, yeah. it pulls me out of the moment. I get distracted by that. You're still telling a story in character. There still needs to be some action. It involved. also depends on how good the singer is. Yeah. Because if they're telling the story through their voice. Absolutely. That's a different story than standing there and being boring. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's, well, I could, name, I could name a few larger singers, which I want. But through the, in the past, there were some very large singers who had just the voices of angels. Yeah. And they didn't have to do anything. Right. They, they literally would have a chair for their aria and they'd yeah. have to sit in it. Yeah. And it's a little uncomfortable, but if you just listen to them sing it, I mean, they probably sing it. They're, they're, they were the people, of the, the, the Zieglindas of their generation, you know, yeah. and the, uh, you know, Siegfrieds of their generation. So it's, 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 a tough, it's a tough middle ground to find, I think, you know, and, and I just know that I, I could lose 50 pounds but I couldn't make my voice better than it is. And somebody could have six pack abs, but they can't make their voice better than it is. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, I'd rather have a singer that's great and is 20 pounds overweight than is six pack or, you know, very skinny and, and doesn't sound right for the part. Yeah. And you just don't want to listen to them. It's funny. I mean, I do, I do a lot of branding for young singers and, one of the things that I do, I, I, I post these interviews every two weeks with individuals, and in between, I try and post what I am calling, what I call social media sound bites. So it's basically how to deal with certain things in social media and that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm starting to pull some of it into the marketing aspect of things. And I'm working on a post both for the podcast and a blog post that I'm going to write entitled, and, and of course, it's a little hyperbole because you want the click, but uh, entitled... Um, beauty is just a marketing ploy because there are so many there are so many ways in which right now young singers look at this and like well I, I don't look like her I can't get hired I you know when 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 Marnie was released there were a whole bunch of people that were like well damn it I'm never gonna look like Isabel Leonard yeah so that means I'm never gonna have a career I'm like well why is why are you stopping there like why is that well if I'm not gorgeous I'm not going to be able to sing professionally. No, give them something else. If you can give them other aspects of you that are more marketable than your looks, that's what a house cares about. But the common denominator amongst all that is exceptional voice. You're an opera singer first and foremost. That's number one. Absolutely. And you have to accept what voice you are. Because a lot of people I hear these days, students, I should say, students, Mm. young artists, they sound, especially, especially if they're larger, they sound the way they look rather than sounding with their voice. Yeah. Does that make sense? And yeah. I, I, I'm only saying this because I, I don't want some large man 
who's got a, a, who's got a, a good voice to cover his voice to make it sound more manly yeah. than his natural bright timbre might let him sound, if that makes any sense. I just want people to sing with purity of voice. Right. Not covered voice, not sort of lips back, but actually placement out voice, squillo, you know, chiaroscuro, everything in place, out, outward sound. Yeah. And that's the most important thing is that if you are uh, anyone, it doesn't matter if you're fat, skinny, old, young, it just, you always need to sing. I, I tell this to young singers, I say, everyone, like you have your own fingerprint. Yeah. You have your own vocal fingerprint that is uniquely yourself. And when you listen to yourself on your voicemail, that's it. Yeah. And you hate it, but you have to accept it. And when it goes out in the house, it's not the same as when you hear it yourself. Yep. So a lot of singers listen to themselves sing and create a sound rather than trusting the sound that goes over their lips and forward out of their mouth to be a good enough sound to be accepted. Yeah. And that's their pure sound. And so what I'm saying is that just make sure if you're singing, you're always singing with your pure sound and not letting anything else get in the way of air chords resonate out. Yeah. Yeah, that listening to yourself is a, is a really big thing, especially with younger singers that temptation is to be like do i sound like this do i sound like that yeah or they'll listen back into a recording and be like oh well, i want to tweak it like this in in a manufactured way yeah but i had a teacher that her big thing was listen the feeling is for you the voice is for them what mm -hmm. you hear while you sing is never going to be what they hear out there yeah. it's never going to line up so stop trying to make it something that it's not yeah get your hands off of it stop manufacturing it yeah let your voice be your voice let it spin out there let it be on the breath and have a consistent presence in the house yeah yeah you know it's funny because in the last episode that i did with ben bliss he was talking about how he always wanted to sing puccini and verdi but everyone does everyone does but uh, he but he sings mozart really sing well Nessundorma. right the, the, I want to the, sing the, Rigoletto. The big hits, you know, that's what we want to sing. Exactly. But he's like, Everyone but does. I sing Mozart, and I sing Mozart well, so that's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> almost every young singer I hear is about maybe a fach less than what they are currently doing, yeah. you know? And, and it's all because everybody wants to reach the mountaintop somehow, this, this perceived mountaintop of the Pavarotti mountaintop, you know, yeah. or something like that, or the Placido. They want to sing Otello, you know? And you can, just not at 25. Right. You know, so start with Mozart and start with start with stuff that's less dramatic, you know, and the, a career is a progression, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right now I'm making a pivot and I started in Mozart. I still sing Mozart, you know, I sing Mozart, I sing Rossini, and now I'm moving into larger bel canto rep and early Verdi stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm doing that is not because I can't sing Mozart anymore. It's because eventually I've sung Don Giovanni at every major house. I've sung the Barber at every major house. People want to hear the next Don Giovanni, you know? Yeah. And so... I will still get hired to sing Don Giovanni now and again. However, I have to move into this new repertoire and give myself a chance to sort of grow. Plus, I'm 40 years old. You know, it's time for me to step into my big boy pants a little more and uh, start singing more of this rep. So, you know, Lucia's, uh, Puritani's, Falstaff, Ford, not Falstaff, uh, Traviata, Don Carlo, things like that. So, it's time. And, and that's, that's where my agent and I are moving currently. I had so many people when I was younger tell me, to be patient and wait. Exactly what you're saying now. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, no, you're going to sing this. It's like I, I sang The Count. I sang Giovanni. I did, you know, that, that stuff that I enjoyed doing, mm -hmm. but wasn't where I saw my voice going. But the where I saw my voice going still had 15 years, at least, of progression in it. And I remember teacher after teacher saying, just, just wait, be patient, be patient. And I've always wanted 
instant satisfaction, immediate satisfaction from anything. Most people do. Most people do. And uh, it, the first person who told me, and I really listened to them, was Nico Costell. And he's like, I know what you want to sing. You're not there yet. Be patient and wait. And I thought, okay, if this guy is telling me, then there's, there's something to it. It's, it's hard to... It's hard to wrap your head around because you're presently singing. You're like, well, what the hell do I do in the meantime? You sing what you're capable of doing, and you sing what your voice can do well. Yeah. Well, um, you know, waiting doesn't mean staying still. Right. You know, waiting doesn't mean that you have to just stay in whatever place you are and just sing in your bathroom while waiting tables. You know, it means that you need to go to competitions and you need to try for young artist programs. And so you're still, there's still progression that can happen while waiting for a voice to mature, because I don't know any company that wouldn't want to have a young Verdi baritone in the Young Artist Program, you yeah. know? I mean, unless it's a very small company when they're really filling roles rather than a uh, potential of a young artist, yeah. which is uh, <laughs> opening up a, a can of worms in, in its and, own right. And the former is exactly the way I looked at it when I was younger, was <clears throat> be patient, wait, means well, then exactly that. I'm just singing for myself right now and just kind of hanging out doing nothing. I didn't look at it as the progression. And that was, that was a little bit on <clears throat> me and I think some of the teachers that I, that I worked with. Well, let's make this a teachable moment. If you're at home and you have a voice and they're telling you to wait, put together an audition package that represents you now with one aria that might represent you in the future to give them an option. But sing, sing lighter stuff. Sing, if you're, if you're a, say you're a, a Heldon tenor in the making, sing Tamino. Sing Tamino's aria. Offer that. Offer Wintersturme as the future thing. And then pick three things in between that you and your voice teacher think is a nice option. And take that to competitions and take that and just work that all the time. And if all of a sudden you have a breakthrough in your, your singing and you're trying something different and you have old problems in Tamino's aria, Switch it up and sing a different aria. Um, God, I wouldn't say, God, if you can sing Una Aura Morosa as a Heldon tenor, that's probably too difficult, honestly. But, you know, what would you recommend? Oh, God. Uh, no, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's right. I think that putting together a, and that's something I, I really wish that I had done, what I can do now, yeah. and that, like, the glimpse of, but here's where I'm, here's where I'm going. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny because I sit down in auditions now, for several companies to kind of stay engaged as to what's going on. Yeah. And the artists, young artists with management tend to do this because management sees, they're like, we're going to work in this progression and kind of go in this direction, which means we kind of want to tease them a little bit. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I never considered that. And I don't see it in a whole lot of artists that aren't repped because that's a different level of mentorship. Yeah, uh, I well, think that's perfect. I think that's a that's a great idea. And you know, like you said, if you think Helen Tenor is where you're going, Vintershorm is a, is one of those great arias where you don't live up top. Yeah. That long. Yeah. So it's the Pagliacci aria because it's not so high, something right. like that. But you know, just but I mean, that doesn't mean that you just sit on your your heels, you know. Yeah. And you still have to be pro- pro- progressing and moving forward, you know. So. Yeah, if you're a young, young, a young big voice singer, and there are some programs out there for you. I know the Laura Zajac has yep. one. Uh, God, I was just hearing the other day about a few others. I can't even remember what they are, but you know there are resources out there for you to find these things. And you yeah. just gotta, you gotta go out there and grab the grab the bull by the horns. And now with the internet, with everything from Yap Tracker and on, I yeah. mean, it's we can find out. Uh, uh, doing research is something that I didn't do when I was younger. 
I didn't, I, I did a little bit, but not enough. You know, yeah. now we can go through, I mean, hell, even Wolf Trap releases all of their audition stats for each year. Mm. We know how many singers are out there, what they were singing, all that kind of stuff. The amount of resources that are out on the internet is staggering yeah. in comparison to even 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and opera's catching up. Opera's behind everybody else for the, for the most part, but it's opera's moving exponentially faster in the tech realm. And so we can find those things. We can see not only um, what young artist programs are out there, but what they're performing, who was at them, what those people were singing while they were there. Like all that stuff is there. And yeah. the opera community is small. Ask friends who have done stuff before you. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk real quick about something you kind of just hit on and moved past. It's, it's the fact that you're right. The opera community is a little behind on trends. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is, if you're a current person and you're up on trends, you can use that to your advantage and be trendy in the opera. Uh, so, so a trend has become a trend in the rest of the world, but it hasn't in the opera world. Use that trend to your advantage. That's what I did. That's why I have a blog. That's why my Instagram is, is, is very accessible, mm -hmm. is that I'm on trend with those things. I'm yeah. actually a little late with trend in the real world, but I'm <clears throat> ahead of the trend with opera. Right. So you have to recognize these things and then take advantage of them. And that's just part of the game these days. You know, you can't just sing pretty these days. Right. You have to have a lot of other things going for you. I think that you, you mentioned your Instagram and yours has blown up in the last year, year and a half. Um, I look at a, a big perpetuation of the art form falling on the singer's notoriety to the public. And social media allows that to be extremely cost effective. It costs you time. I mean, you're spending time writing blog posts. You're spending time doing um, live videos or yeah. answering questions, um, doing stories and actual posts. Yeah. But we talked about this being an industry that's tough for people who don't have money. None of this shit costs you money. Exactly. It just costs just you time. time. Time and effort. And it's, it's a long game, just like your career is a marathon. Yep. You know, building uh, a social media base and getting that momentum behind you of having a follower base uh, doesn't happen overnight. And even if you buy followers uh, and, and do some of those kind of marketing things, it still doesn't work the same way as an organic growth in your follower base and engagement. Absolutely, with engagement everybody. is a huge thing. You should be uh, every post should have about ten percent of your total uh, your total number of fans with likes. You know, five to ten yeah. percent is normally a nice number. Ten percent is great. If I get ten percent, so I got you know five thousand, six thousand followers right now. If I if I if I have six hundred likes, bingo. Right. That's good. Yeah. That's you know. So if you look at somebody that's got We'll just do 10,000 because the math is easy. 10,000 followers and they've got 100 likes. There's something, there's a disconnect there. They either, either bought them or they're not engaging their audience in the way they should. Right. Or could. I, you know, so, I mean, honestly, I have to say I, I feel very close with my fans. I don't have as many as a lot of people out there, but every one of them is pretty diehard, you know, yeah. and they, they really, they're really there for me and I, I want to be there for them too. A huge part of that too is that I noticed that you will comment on their comments um, you take yeah. you you'll reply in your stories with stuff that people have previously mentioned, you know that kind of thing is not just not just having the followers and kind of giving them what they want or having a publicist do it for you. Yeah, uh, but you're 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 kind of in the trenches with a lot of these young young singers that are paying attention to you. Yeah, um, and I, I I always bring up certain singers in uh, my social media classes, and the ones I bring up have either zero engagement, we talk about this, 
or they have a ton of engagement and it has just perpetuated, I shouldn't say, it's blown up um, their amount of followers and fandom. But like I look at, Netremco has like 400,000 followers right now, 400,000 plus. But the sheer amount of comments that she comments on in each of her posts is staggering. But you take 15 minutes to an hour, go through your post when people comment, yeah. you comment back, you engage with them after they've engaged with you. Yeah. It, it makes it feel like they actually have a connection to you. And it's great because not only do you then have kind of a, your finger on the pulse of what people want to hear from you and what you can yeah. offer in your insights, um, but it helps the industry in the sense that those people are going to want to show up to a gig that you have. Yeah, totally. No, it's all about, you know, putting butts in the seats and, and, and having a relationship with these people helps to do that, you know? And, and, and it's not narcissistic. I get the, the older singers that I have, the singers that are over 35, they're like, this feels super narcissistic. I hate talking about myself all the time. Like, but you're not talking about yourself. You can keep your personal life wherever you want it. You bring in as much of your personal life as you want. Yeah. The rest of it is you as an artist and you acting within your brand. Yeah, it's, it's the same as, 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 as acting on stage. If you're not yeah. natural and real with your audience, and the, your audience being your fan base, your followers, if you're not real with them, they can smell it right away. Like, you know, say, oh, best cast ever, so blessed, you know, like <laughs> that sort of stuff. People sniff that out. It just feels so fake. So I'm just myself. And that's the same thing with Anna. I know Anna. We've sung many times together. She's great. And she's, she's just a natural, nice person. Yeah. And all of her pictures are not, I mean, they're not glam wow. They're of her, God, it's cold out here. I'm going to step out on my balcony in a bikini and be like, New York, you know, or something, you know, it's like. It's all just her in the grocery store with her son, you know, like yeah. just chilling, you know. It's like, it's just so on brand for her, you know. And yeah. so you have to figure out what your brand is, what makes you special and be that. Because yep. I've, I've figured mine out, you know. I'm just, I'm just a nice southern guy from New York who does a very difficult thing. It was a great job, you know, and, and I like to give back. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm showing people teachable moments and... And, you know, with these, like, Lucas lessons and stuff, you know, I'm just, you know, right now I'm in the middle of a 10-day-in-a-row voice lesson thing every day on Instagram. I answer a question from one of my fans. You know, Mm -hmm. we have a list of 50 questions. My wife and I, she she helps me with so much with social media with this stuff. You know, we have this list. And every day I pick a a question and we thank the person who wrote it. And, you know, it's engagement, man. Yeah. You got to be engaged. So you mentioned briefly, um, and I said I wanted to go back to it, your post on the blog about onstage romance etiquette. Yeah. Talk to us a little about that. If you give us like a kind of a brief, you know, the, the cliff notes on that, that post. Yeah. Well, first of all, the Baritone blog, it was never about, I need to answer the questions of today. Yeah. It was, what can I lend my experience to? Yeah. So I never thought because of me too, I'm going to write this blog. Oh, I yeah. thought, Hey, you know, I have a list of, of, of blog options either from, I, I expound them uh, uh, from questions I get from, from followers or I come up with it myself and say, this, nobody talks about this. And that's how it sort of came about is that nobody really talks about this. I was thinking about it one day and I'm like, how should, I should talk about this. You know, it really, it really came out of, uh, not thin air because I do plan these things, but it never came out of a, a wanting to please people. I thought it was going to be for men, that's why I call man to man a guide to stage romance or something like that. And uh, I thought I really thought men would read it, and all of the not all, but the majority of the comments were from women thanking me for finally putting this out there. Yeah. And 
so anyway, it's it's really it's really come a long way. So basically, I I, I picked up a bunch of stage etiquette. I'll call it stage etiquette tips throughout my career. There was mm -hmm. never one place I went to and they said, well, when you kiss on stage, you need to do this. You know, it's part stage combat, part stage romance in a way. Yeah. You wouldn't do a fight scene without rehearsing it. Right. You shouldn't be making out on stage and groping each other without talking about it. Yeah. At least. And so, um, and you know, directors are just as guilty of this as, as, as anyone else because they want, they want realness. A lot of directors want movie realness. Right. And, um, that's just not what we do. You know, you should still have a rehearsal and then make it real. You wouldn't say, I want realness, so go up there and do whatever you want for the blocking. Yeah. So why would you say, go up there and do whatever you want for the makeout session? Yeah. You know, so it just, it's something that needs to be talked about beforehand. You need to have a conversation, find out people's comfort levels. And I mean, look, if I, I also think there is a bit of a, of a, of a, of a too far, you can take it with, say, you're, 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 not comfortable touching a man or your religion prohibits it or something, you know, this might not be the career for you because right. this is, this is, you do need to be able to be physical with other people on stage in romantic ways. It's just what the characters need. Right. It's like, you're not going to be an actor if you're not comfortable shaking hands or touching a woman because you're a, a Hasidic Jew or something, you know? Right. So, um, because of this, you, you have to have a certain level of realism about what the career entails. So, Considering that that's sort of said and done, you know, you need to, you just need to, I mean, just be, be cool, man. Just be cool. It's pretty natural to just talk to somebody before you make out with them, you know, instead of just being like, oh, okay, let's just do this and go for it. You know, you, of course you're going to have a conversation with people about it. But I realized that a lot of people didn't know how to have that conversation or the options for a stage kiss. Yeah. And so I run down the list of options, you know, I say, here's how you do it. And then you can pick which one works best for you and your, your comfort level and go with that. Yeah. So it, I'm not saying that making out with somebody with tongue on stage is bad. I'm saying it's not necessary. And, but if you choose to do it with the director and you're happy with it, that's the most important thing. That yeah. all parties agree and are happy. Yeah. So what is up next for you? What's, up, what's on the docket for... Uh... As much as I say I'm not a teacher, I was just accepted as the, or announced that, that I'm, I'm becoming the UNC Artist in Residence. Awesome. There, so I'm going to go work with some of their students. I'm doing a recital with my wife. I've actually got three recitals coming up with my wife, two in North Carolina and one in New York. Uh, then I'm going to Toronto to do La Boheme. Uh, and then I'm, I've taken... I'm, then I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> we are going to have a child. Uh, a small addition you know? to it. And you know, uh, because of that, I've taken, I'm doing some concerts this summer, but mostly I've taken off. I'm not going to some big summer program or anything. I've taken the summer almost completely off. I've got a few concerts, like I said. And then my next gig's in San Francisco. I'm opening the season there with uh, Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Cuscio. And then I go to do a recording of Thais in Toronto. And uh, then I'm off to Paris uh, for the winter, and then I'll be in Chicago. And uh, I don't know if I can't. I don't think I don't know if they've announced yet, so I can't say. But there you go. Anyway, yeah, yeah I'm just uh, you know living the dream. Love it, love it. What's the what's the due, the due date? June 3rd. June 3rd. Yeah. We That's... find out the sex of the baby tomorrow. Tomorrow? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Tonight's the opening of Yolanta. We fly to Minneapolis tomorrow. We're going for an appointment. And uh, I was going to ask about the doctor situation. Yeah. She's got oh, her, man. I assume she had her people there. but Yeah. People in Minneapolis. Yeah. It's just it's just tough with the whole American healthcare system right now because, I mean, we don't, definitely don't have to get into this subject, but all the only place we're covered is 
Minnesota. Yeah. So anything else is, is an emergency room visit. That's the only thing that's covered. That's an epic pain in the ass. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> hey, it's my life, but it's, you know, I got no complaints, honestly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always nice to be able to go home, still sleep in my bed and... So I'll have a weekend at home nice. and then come back to New York. Finish so the real quick, she does she do a lot of your, um, she plays for a lot of your concerts and stuff, right? Every recital oh, I do. Every recital you do? Yep. That's awesome. And we're working on a recording. So that's nice. sort of next step. You yeah. Know? We're, 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 we're getting there. I mean, really, you're the first person we've told about it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's, it, I like to see couples in an industry that can consistently work well together. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it's a very unique and extremely intimate dynamic Yeah, that not a whole lot of couples can take part in. There's a learning curve for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, like I, I didn't know I spoke, not disrespectfully to my coaches, but in a professional, blunt way. Oh, let's go to measure 47. You know, and, yeah. and that sometimes I say that. And, and anyway, it's very different working with your wife. Let yeah. me tell you that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's wonderful and always imaginable. It's fantastic, but there there was a bit of a curve, you know, yeah. that I had to learn. I, uh, and her too. I interviewed Chris Maltman um, a little while ago, and in his episode, he talks about the fact because he does a lot of almost all of his role preps with his Audrey. girlfriend Audrey, and uh, he even mentions that they kind of created a secondary persona for her so that she can give him notes without. Him taking it too personally. Yeah. She's like, this isn't me talking. This is the coach talking. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I was like, yeah, there's definitely got to be a learning curve. Yeah, no doubt. They're so sweet. But Yeah, it's kind of cool. Another another baritone and uh, collaborative pianist right? together. I was actually singing with Chris in L.A. when they started dating. Oh, yeah? And so, yeah, I know both of them really well. And They're a blast. Yeah. We were supposed to do a motorcycle trip when they came up, uh, when they were here last. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't work out, so we're, we're planning for the future. I may just have to go over to Europe and... Do you know, it. Ride the mountains with them. Yeah, they're both just. Yeah, they're great. They're adrenaline junkies, that's for sure. Yeah. They love the life on two wheels. But well, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate you, you got uh, it. taking the time to do this. And uh, thanks for coming out. I'm, I'm to glad that on the Central Park West. <laughs> for more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media soundbites each month. You can find me directly on Instagram at the beard and lens and the podcast Instagram is at opera biz. Thanks for listening to the opera biz podcast.